Hey, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate you. I want you to know that. Today's episode is kind of a look into a different perspective on the work-life balance that we normally discuss here on the show. We'll talk about marriage. We'll talk about making the ultimate sacrifice to support the dreams and aspirations of your significant other and how that might take a toll on a relationship, what it means to go all in, what it's like to go from supporting your spouse to working with them and ultimately building a nearly billion-dollar brand together. Can that be done with a sense of work-life balance? That and more today on The Shaleen Show. Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Shaleen is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Lisa Bilyeu, along with her husband Tom Bilyeu, is a co-founder of Impact Theory, which is a digital media company focused on creating content that empowers people. Lisa is a champion for all women. She wants to lift their spirits. She wants them to believe anything is possible. And she does so with her own YouTube and podcast called Women of Impact. She and her husband were part of the founding members of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition. As you'll hear today, that journey took many sacrifices. Lisa, in her own words, transformed herself from being, quote, just a housewife to one of the founding members of this billion-dollar company. Before we get to the interview, it's important to hear stories like this. And if you're someone who struggles with work addiction, if you feel triggered by the thought that you should be doing more, I want you to listen to this episode carefully. And remember that one person's path isn't necessarily right for another person. Lisa and I have a very honest conversation, but as I think you'll be able to pick up on, we have differing beliefs when it comes to work-life balance. This interview was done at the Impact Theory Studios, which happens to be in Tom and Lisa's beautiful Beverly Hills mansion. As we walked in, it was immediately apparent to me that this wasn't just their home. It was really their workspace. Every single room of the home, with just a few exceptions, have been taken over in terms of production or business operations. In fact, more than 25 different staffers are there in the house from sunup until, in her own words, Lisa and Tom crawl into bed at night. Impact Theory is their mission, just as Quest Nutrition was their mission. These are two people who believe if you're going to make something happen, you have to go all in. You've got to give everything you've got with laser-like, unrelenting focus. But as a regular listener of The Shaleen Show, you also know that my husband and I both spent many years overcoming our mirroring addictions, his to gambling and mine to working. But we both found ourselves so deep in the drive and the hustle that it was difficult for us to connect. It was difficult for us to feel. And so much of that we sorted through in therapy. We had to learn how to create a work-life balance, and that's what was right for us. And remember, we had two small children. Our circumstances were different. But if I'm being honest, there are still moments, still situations where I can feel triggered. After our interview with Lisa, I very honestly shared that with her, that 
being in that environment made me feel that same sense of overwhelm and anxiousness, like that feeling that I could never escape work, that I could never rest, that if there were people in my home working late at night, that I would need to be working too. And it just brought back all of those feelings and emotions. And, you know, part of me wanted to just warn the two of them that there's another way. I mean, I really wanted to be a know-it-all. And I think I probably did say some things that were none of my business because no one asked for my opinion, but I've been through it. And a part of me passionately wants to help people understand that there's another way to accomplish all that you want to accomplish, to live more, to breathe, to give yourself that space, to understand that there is a way to have amazing success and also achieve balance. But having done this podcast in the last 15 years of my own personal development, today I realize that there is more than one way. My way might not be right for someone else, and their way might not be right for me, and that's okay. My definition of success may look very different from yours. Just as there's not one size fits all approach to parenting or diet or marriage, there is more than one approach, more than one way to accomplish your dreams, to set goals for yourself, and to make it happen. I know what makes me happy. I know what word is most important to me, and that word is peace. So before you listen, I ask you to keep an open mind and just remember there is more than one way. I don't want you to be overly influenced by my approach or Lisa's approach. I want you to start with your end in mind. Ask yourself, what is it that gives you joy? What is it that makes you feel at peace or happy or fulfilled and accomplished? What feeling do you want to have? Start there and then build your life around it. Lisa, thank you so much for doing this and meeting with me today. I am fascinated by your story. And I think so many women will resonate with and be inspired by your journey. I have so many personal questions. And usually those are my favorite interviews, ones that feel like they're like, oh man, I'm super interested because mm -hmm. my girl will be interested too. The first thing I want to know is, you know, you've built this empire together with your husband. And I've heard you refer many times to yourself as just a stay-at-home wife. Mm. At the time when you first began your entrepreneurial journey, you didn't have children, you were newly married. And did you make a decision, well, I'm not going to work, I'm going to take care of the home? Like, walk me through that title that you've given yourself. Yeah, that title is very prominent. Like I remind myself of that. So I had no intention of being a stay-at-home wife. But growing up, I grew up in a very traditional Greek family. So I was told I was going to get married and have kids. And so even though part of me had these big dreams of being in film, because that was my dream, I think it was easy for me to almost slip into the wife role. And in our first year of marriage, my husband and I said, okay, we really want to be in film. He wrote a screenplay and the director butchered it. And Tom was so embarrassed and he hated it. And I'd worked on films where I was a photographer, set photographer. And people were just mean to me. They were rude. They would step on you. You know, it's like kind of what you hear about Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And so we both looked at each other and we said, is this our dream? Because if it is, neither of us wanted a part of it. And so we said, okay. If you want to control the odds, you have to control the resources. So we were young enough and naive enough to go, well, let's just earn some money. How hard can it be? 
And so we had agreed, okay, what does that look like? If we really want to earn money, we're going to do it for maybe a year. Look at all the successful people around you and mimic their lifestyles. Mm -hmm. So we looked at Steve Jobs and you look at Steve Jobs and you go, okay, he always wears black. It was either a turtleneck (laughs) or or a t-shirt. Why? Because you only have a certain amount of decisions in a day that you can actually make. So we said, okay, what's the no BS thing for us to do to create a life that allows us to go all in? So we said, all right, Tom, you should never make a decision outside of business because then you can really go all in on the business, make decisions with clarity. And I, as you know, your business partner, like quote unquote business partner, I'll make all other decisions. So I'll stay at home. I'll make the decisions on food. I'll do everything else. And in that first year, he would wake up every morning. His gym clothes were laid out for him. He would get changed. He would go to the gym. He'd come back. His lunch that he would take to work was made for him. His work clothes were laid out for him. He didn't have to make one decision at home. Wow. And I had told myself, this is what you're going to do in order to get to your goals that you want. Hmm. We're going to do it for a year, maybe 18 months. Was it really your thinking that this is something we will do temporarily because yes. as your girlfriend, I'm seeing this happening and I'm like, girl, you are training your husband the wrong way. You are training him to do everything for him and that you are less important. That's what I would have yeah. thought as your girlfriend. You didn't feel that? You no. really felt like this was a temporary thing? Yeah. Do so, you know anyone else who's done that? No. <laughs> and shifted away from it eventually? Yeah, um, do I know? Not really. Wow. And it's it was had- a discussion. It was like, okay, this is what we're yes. going to do and why. Yes. We wrote everything down. We said, okay, this is the goal. The goal is to make movies. It was very clear what we both wanted to do. And so we said, we just have to earn the money to do it. And this was, I mean, you're talking 2002. So it's not like now entrepreneurship is a thing, right? Back then it really wasn't even that. But it was like, let's just like, we have to make money in order to make our movies. And we were very intentional. We said, what are you taking care of? What am I taking care of? And we wrote out all the tasks, all the rules. And I was like, I'm going to manage the money. So that again, he wouldn't even have to think about it. So every day I did like a budget and I said, okay, we've got $10 every week to spend on ourselves. And he would go out and on the weekend, it was, we were renting movies at Blockbusters back in the day. Oh, sure. And we would go to Blockbusters and we would choose a movie and we would sit there and go, is this your movie choice or is this my movie choice? And I would write down the movie that he chose and that it was, you know, $2.99 out of his pocket. And I would do all of that, but I took pride in it because I was like, it's in the path on getting to your goal. Wow. So I would give myself the pep talk every time that I would do this. It's not like I enjoyed it, but I'd give myself the pep talk. It's all in service of the bigger goal. Mm. And Lisa, it's only for 12 to 18 months. 12 to 18 months. You can do anything for 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. That 12 to 18 months turned into eight years. Wow. And every step, it was like, okay, well, we're almost close. Like, we're just starting this. We're just doing this. We're just going to start this tech company. He met these guys and he was just going to do it. And that's why the just came. And so I was like, I'm just a housewife for a year. I see. I'm just a housewife for this year. And look, I want to make it abundantly clear. There's nothing wrong with being a housewife. Nothing. If that's the path you choose and that is what sets you alive, you absolutely should do it. But for me, it wasn't the path I chose. I mean, in fact, looking back now, I did choose it, but it wasn't the path I wanted. Right. And so over time, I started to find myself 
finding pleasure and pride and forcing myself to find that in the small things in baking I made my husband a cake like oh my god he's going to be so proud because I had to self-soothe the emotion of have I really given up on my dream that's what I wanted to ask did you feel like you were losing yourself did you feel like you were selling yourself short and did you ever begin to become resentful Mm -hmm. of the arrangement yes Okay, talk to me about that. So I started becoming resentful because he was losing, like the goal was to earn money enough to bring happiness, right? To really reach our goals. Mm -hmm. And here we were, almost feeling like we're taking more and more steps away from our goals. And I was seeing my husband less happy. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, hang on a minute. I feel like I'm sacrificing and he's not happier. We're not earning more money. Or maybe we're earning a bit more money, but it wasn't the enough finance to be able to make movies. So why are we doing this now? And it got to a point where I pulled him aside and I was like, we have to talk because I don't even like to joke using the word divorce. Like, mm, I don't even mm, like, we mm, don't even right. say the D word. Even like, in a fight. It's, we mm-hmm. call it the D word, yeah. you know. Even in a fight, we never do it. And I'm like, babe, I told you I'm in it for life. But we have to address these issues because if now I'm losing my husband, I cannot function. Like, we're not dreaming anymore. We're not even talking about our dreams. We're just in that perpetual motion of everyday mundane. Mm. And that's where I was like fearful. Like, I'm, I call it, you know, purgatory of the mundane. Yes. And that I think is worse than being uber dissatisfied with your life. Yes. When you were for those first eight years, Knowing how incredibly creative and busy you are and entrepreneurial and all the things you've done and all the things you do today, it's hard for me to imagine that. Mm. So did you focus more time in your art? No, because I thought that was selfish. How could I spend all this time drawing and feeling this pleasure when my poor husband is grinding it in a job he freaking hates just to make enough money for both of us? So I felt like I was being selfish if I did things like that, even though he was super encouraging. And so I would draw, it wasn't that I didn't, but I tried to almost fill my day with things that could benefit both of us, Mm. you know? And so I would go to the gym and I would find like, okay, well, if I look good, then at least my husband, you know, I'm attractive to my husband. So it was like these false things that I would put in my head of what actually was meaningful when it wasn't. Mm. But I had to find... I had to find pride and I had to find meaning to things in my life because Mm -hmm. I couldn't bear the thought that my life didn't have meaning. Mm. And so I convinced myself of things. And now I realize that in hindsight, in the moment, it wasn't like I was sitting there going, you need to find meaning in life. It was like, you know, I'm like, well, I'm cooking, so I'm providing value to him. Now, I've heard you say before you were married that the two of you thought you wanted to have children. And your home for those eight years, he's working, you're struggling to find meaning. Mm -hmm. Society tells you, oh, you find meaning when you're married by becoming a mom. Mm -hmm. Did that become something you were working towards? Did you think about that? Did you struggle with that? Yeah, absolutely. And we would sit down almost every year, Tom and I, and we would say, is this the year we're going to have kids? Because both of us had agreed that's what we were going to do. Mm -hmm. And so the first few years, he was like, babe, I really... Sorry, let me back up. Being traditional Greek, it was you get married, have kids immediately. Mm. But I was very young when I met him. So he said, I just want to enjoy you for a couple of years. Like, let's just be married. So that was our agreement. We're just going to be married for a few years. And then it became, 
well, now you're working and I'm staying at home. Like, it's now the time. And he was like, we just don't have financial security yet. Like, we want to take some chances. All right, so let's just wait another two years. And so we would make a pact and an agreement. All right, we're going to wait another two years. And after those two years, we would have the discussion again. And then it became, well, he's just working a lot. Do I really want to have children with a guy who's never home? Yeah. Like, it's okay for me. I can self-soothe myself. But I want dad to be around. I don't want to be a single parent. Mm -hmm. And so he, you know, we asked each other, well, what does that mean? He said, look, I'm not willing to sacrifice just yet. I'm not the man I want to be. Mm. And so in being the man I want to be, is I'm going to need to take chances. And so we sat down. I said, okay, well, I don't ever want to ask my husband to be a man that isn't, you know, authentically him. I wouldn't want him to do that of me. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, I totally understand. Let's just wait. And so we kept pushing having kids off until one day when I had that talk with him, where I'm like, we need to do something different after eight years. I was like, we have to do something different. I'm not happy. You're not happy. Let's change the course of what we're doing. Was there a um, catalyst for that moment? I mean, you remember the day, yeah. right? I do remember the day. God, I remember the day and that discussion. I don't really clearly remember what happened before, but we were arguing about something stupid, right? It was like a Saturday. Mm -hmm. And I'd asked him something and he was so grumpy. And it was like, I was so excited because every day I was just looking forward to him coming home and hanging out with me. That right. was like the thing that I focused on. And I remember we had a Saturday together and it was like, we were so excited to spend, or I was so excited to spend this time together. And he was so grumpy and everything I was doing, he was just like biting my head off. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what we specifically argued about. And I was just but like- But it I, had become yes, enough. Yes. And were there, in those eight years, mm. do you feel that you were suppressing your true feelings and to just like support- and to go with and to, you know, just not honoring what you were feeling? Mm -hmm. Yes, in hindsight, absolutely. Why? I didn't realize at the time. Why do you think that you didn't feel comfortable mm. sharing your true desires and feelings? Yeah, and the funny thing is, I don't even know if it wasn't that I wasn't comfortable, is that I had told myself a story. And the story I told myself is, a wife supports her husband. Where did you learn that story? I think from my family, for sure. I'd grown up seeing that. My grandparents arranged marriage, my, you know, very traditional Greek. This makes sense um, now. Yeah. And every time you would go to Cyprus, which is where my family is from, every time I would go to Cyprus, when we would have dinner, the men never got up out of their seats. All the women got up. My grandmother would literally yell at us as the girls to get up and help. But the guys were never allowed to help. Like, no, the men don't help. So over time, even though I was brought up in London, right, which you think is like very modern, I had absolutely had this mindset of this is how it was. And once my mom, she left her career to be a stay-at-home wife and a stay-at-home mother. And so there was no judgment on it. It was just like, well, of course, this that's what, what we you're do. going to do. And as a kid, I tell the funny story is every time I would like fall or scrape my leg, the famous phrase my grandmother would say is, don't worry, you're going to be better by the time you're married. What? And, you know, like if you would, you're, you're yes. seven years old, you're crying because you've, yes. you know, you've fallen off your bike. And the words out of my grandmother's mouth every time is, don't worry, you'll go be better by the time you get married. <laughs> and so when I look back, right, when I start to piecemeal my life, I'm like, well, of course, my grandmother made me think the pinnacle of my life was going to be when I got married. And also, 
a lot of pressure to be perfect and all put back together yeah, by the time you're right. married. That's funny. It never even occurred to me. You're yeah. right. So all of these little subconscious things. I wanted to go to film school. I begged my dad. He did not want me to study film. He was like, if you're going to go to college, you should be in like journalism or law or medicine. And I wanted film because I love the arts. And eventually it was two weeks of just arguing, like really, really arguing with my dad. I was crying. I wanted to study film. And, you know, I'm 18 at the time. And he turned around and eventually he just said, you know what? It doesn't matter anyway. You're going to be a housewife to study whatever you like. Now, it's not that he was trying to be mean. And that's the one thing that now I realize it became a worldview that he had. He grew up in a tiny village. The only people that got sent to school were boys. There was no school in the village, so only a select number of boys got sent out to get an education. Wow. So he was brought up, he had a sister, he had a mum, no education. He was one of three boys that got selected for an education. So for him, it wasn't like he was trying to stifle me as an adult. It wasn't like he thought, well, you're not good enough for anything else, so you may as well stay home. No, that was his worldview. And so at the time, I was like, well, at least I got what I want. Mm. I'm going to go study film. But in hindsight, looking back at how all of these little things dripped on me. Messaging. On messaging. Messaging. And we don't realize it sometimes until we're adults, how powerful that messaging has played a role in our beliefs and the things that we accept and our relationships with our significant mm -hmm. others. So you have this conversation. It's that day. Yeah. You know, it's that day where you say, enough something has to change. Yes. Were you ready to walk? Did you have a set of demands? Was there an ultimatum? What did you envision? And had you thought about that conversation before you had it? I'd like to think I was more prepared, but I wasn't. I was just a bumbling mess. It was just pure emotion. It was crying like, I just want my husband back. I don't know who you are. Like it was truly like Like that. it all just came up. Yeah, I didn't have a growth mindset back then. I didn't have the words to articulate it. I was just like, I don't know what to do, but I need my husband back. Like I was just in that, you know, okay. that desperation, that voice where you're just, I felt broken and I couldn't imagine ever not being with him but I couldn't imagine keep living the life I was living. Mm. And so the desperation was just in the tears and I'm not a crier. And so I think that really shook him because he'd never seen me like that before mm -hmm. because I just broke, mm -hmm. because I felt lost. I felt in desperation. I just want you back and I don't know how to fix it. Did you give him some parameters though in that conversation? Did you say things need to change and here's what I need? No. So I erupted in emotion once we calmed down because I like now I definitely think it but all I think strategies and any conversation should be done from a place of <laughs> even kill because <laughs> in an ideal world right? that's nice yeah because I just I couldn't articulate what I wanted I couldn't speak to him in a clear way but sometimes don't you just need to go there like sometimes, I mean, I'm a very calm person. Yeah. I No matter what happens, I yeah. stay calm. I, yeah. I don't get super happy mm. and I don't get low. Mm. I'm pretty even. Mm. Like people say, like, are you so excited? And I'll say, yes, I am. But really, I'm just even. I'm always kind of in the middle. But every once in a while, I think that kind of emotion mm. is what you need to stir things in yourself and in others. I agree, but for me... I think I needed to hit that emotional point to be able to then change it. Mm. But I, for me, I don't think I can have 
a conversation that's actually going to be productive okay. in an emotional state. Sure. So even back then, I was once my emotions settled and his, we sat down and we said, okay, we can both agree that we want this relationship to work. Okay, we both agree on that. What does that look like from your perspective? And what does that look like from my perspective? For me, is I need a husband that can share. That can, share. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he had shut down. Oh, you mean share emotionally? Yes. You know what I was thinking right oh, there? What? Like, oh, he's going to take out the trash and I'm oh, going to make the bed. No, no, no. You no. mean open yeah. to me, be vulnerable yes. to need me. Yes. Yes. I didn't feel needed. He wasn't in conversation. Now, the reason why in unraveling all this, he was so miserable at work. He was in a very eat or be eaten atmosphere Mm -hmm. with just hardcore entrepreneur guys. And he's like, you don't understand what it's like every single day going in and getting basically kicked in the nuts day in and day (laughs) out. And so when he came home, he didn't want to tell his wife, right? He had to be this hero man that could take everything. So he didn't want to tell me, Mm. his wife, that it was a grind, that it was tough, that it was hard, that he was getting kicked in the nuts every day. Mm -hmm. So he had shut down emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so I told him in like, after we had calmed down, I was like, I need you to share emotionally. I need to know about your day. And how do we do that? I need to know that you're working towards happiness because every single day I see you getting worse, not better. And so we started to unravel. He didn't want to fail. He didn't want to feel like he let me down. He'd been telling my dad who, when he asked my dad for his blessing, my dad said, no. And he'd been telling my dad, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm. In the most respectful way, he's like, look, I'm going to support your daughter. Don't worry, I'm going to support her. And here he was, like he couldn't quit because he thought he was going to then let my dad down. And in unraveling all of this, I'm like, are you joking? I don't care about the house. Mm -hmm. I don't care about money. I'll happily sacrifice all of this. I just want you back. Mm. And so we said, well, what does that look like? And I was like, I think it looks like you need to quit. And he was like, yeah, I think I do. And so we had agreed that if we had to sell the house because we now didn't have the finances because, you know, of the job he was in, then so be it. And so we went through all the worst case scenarios and both of us were in agreement that we were okay with those worst case scenarios. And so he went in and quit. And on his drive home, he was like, I can't believe I quit. And they called him up on his drive home. And that's when they're like, we actually hate this too. We're miserable too. We need to change our lives. And so let's do it together. And so that started the journey of Quest. That's crazy. Now to fast forward, and for our listeners who may not be as familiar with your story, you start Quest. And I mean, I've never heard this said perhaps this succinctly, but my vision of how it all started was you were making these protein bars in your kitchen. Everyone's into health and fitness. You decide to start this company and you again are still in that role of being the helpful wife. Yes. So it wasn't that like beautifully done. It was, so my husband's business partners were in the fitness, like they worked out a lot. They were, you know, one of the guys was really, really big, muscly, and his wife was making him home protein bars. I'm just like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm throwing powder together with some water, with some peanut butter. I'm like, cool, I can do that for my husband. So we were kind of all making these like really bad homemade protein bars. And so when the men sat together 
and we're like, what do we want to do? Okay, we love fitness. We love health. This is something that we need. So they had said, okay, let's make a protein bar. Well, how hard can it be? And so they reached out to the wives and was like, can you guys help? So one of the wives was helping kind of make the formula, but even then it's like the second you add water to something, it activates the molding process. So then it's like, well, you it can't be shelf stable. So how do we figure this out? And so we were kind of all just like really stumbling along the way and just trying to figure it out. And I literally was like, whatever you need, babe, how can I help? And so we're like, okay, well, let's rent a kitchen because we can't really do it from our own kitchen. So if you don't mind just weighing some peanut butter. And I was like, I can do that. I can weigh peanut butter. Like, how hard is that? So well, if you don't mind weighing some protein powder. And then, hey, we've got this kitchen. We're going to go and make it. Yeah, I can use a rolling pin and a knife. So we literally you know, what was it, like maybe six of us or eight of us would be in this rental kitchen for eight hours and we would, you know, hand make like 2,000 protein bars and we would take it home and they would go back to their tech company that they were running that they were trying to exit from. Sure. Because you need the finances to build this company. So they would go every day to the tech company that they hated and here I was like, okay, I'll do the shipping. Hey, we've got three orders. And I remember the day we had 10 orders. Like when we went into double digits, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. We finally made it. I have to drive to the post office. I can't walk to the post office anymore. Like that was pride that I had. Wow. And so I was just boxing from my living room floor and I was handwriting shipping labels. And what we didn't realize was how quickly the company would grow. Let's talk about that growth. So went from zero to something like 88 million. So our company as a whole went from zero to a billion dollars in five years. That's just Um, In three years, we grew 57,000%. I remember reading that maybe in Inc. Magazine that year and going, whoa. And it was a surprise, but also it wasn't because everyone I knew was eating Quest Bars and talking about them and the groundswell amongst fitness professionals, Mm -hmm. like that there was this bar that was really different from everything else that was out there. That's the first time I remember everyone talking about was like in fitness groups. And I think it was an interview I heard with, I don't remember if it was with you or Tom, I've heard so many, but was that part of the intention was like to start with the fitness community folks? So actually what we had done, the strategy was we're just, we're going to invest money. So all of us business partners, we all put in some money and we said, we're just going to give the product out for the Mm. first three months. We're just going to give it out for free to the thought leaders in this space because they're going to be the ones who get the macronutrients in it and the taste that there's no other bar out there like that. These are like the original influencers. The OGs, yeah. yeah, The the Chets of the world, the Arnolds of the world. You know, like, so we're just going to give out bars for free and we would write a note. And the note said, if you like this product, talk about it. If you don't like this product, talk about it. Wow. And at the time that this is 2010, Facebook was just starting up. Yeah. And so people weren't A, using that type of marketing. People weren't asking people to be honest. And we just said, yeah, we want to know the truth. If it sucks, let us know so we can change it. And so these thought leaders were getting these free products. They were then talking to their friends. Then you had people in the fitness industry, you know, the elites of the world were then talking to these thought leaders. Then the trainers in the gyms were talking to the their clients, the clients and their students. And so it would start to trickle. So you got to the point where you would having 
the clients who may be your, you know, your mom of three that is getting exercise for that one hour and you've got a trainer saying, oh, you should eat this bar. So we went from the high level to the recommendation trickle down and we really wanted people's honest feedback. Mm. and so then the people who were training were then telling their friends who may not even work in the gyms or even work out oh I've got this protein bar you know when you're in a rush and you're taking your kids to school I eat this bar called Quest so we had people that weren't even working out now eating our product Mm. so that's how it all started with that but then it started to really spread and this is where it became it took me from just trying to help my husband out and just like oh my god just keep going keep going was it pretty quickly that you were full-time now? Yes. So you went from being full-time at home, making sure everything's perfect there, yep. to full-time, you say I was working in fulfillment. But yes. I mean, you are side-by-side side with your husband working full-time now, yes. which means also, I'm curious, now things at home, who's taking care of those things? I'm glad you asked. And, and how did that make you feel? And how did you see your role? Yeah. I love that question. So it all started with just shipping from my living room floor. Then it was like, well, hey, if you can help, can you please? We've got this one office, but no one can be there because everyone's at this other job. And so they just need someone there to like oversee the office because otherwise it's going to be empty. And then we hired our first employee. And it's like, well, we've got one employee. Lisa, can you, do you mind being there? Do you mind just printing this leaflet? Do you mind just doing? So it was just, well, if I don't, I lose my house because we had basically put our house on the line. Mm -hmm. If this failed with the money we put in, to it we couldn't afford to pay our mortgage so that was a big driving force for me okay well I have to learn it even I have no idea about shipping Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about UPS I don't know anything about forklifts I don't know anything about you know certifications of um, health and food safety but every time that would happen they're like well Lisa you know do you mind doing it I was just like well of course I should do it because otherwise I'm going to lose my house and also I want to be a good wife I want to support my husband Mm. so that started being the driving force then that switched over to, I kind of like learning. Mm. I kind of like, I'm starting to feel good about myself. And the okay. self-esteem that I hadn't had for eight years. Really? And I'm like, I started to realize I'm doing this for me now. It's building my confidence. I'm figuring things out. I'm thinking of myself in a much higher you know, manner than I used to think of myself. So it transitioned from, I'm just helping my husband to, wow, this feels really good. And once I started to realize that, I was still trying to do everything, of course, as women do. So mm-hmm. I was still trying to provide for my husband at home, trying to do, and eventually I had to sit him down. And I was like, I can't do both. Mm-hmm. And we had to have the discussion of what type of wife he was looking for and what mm. type of wife I now wanted to be. Mm. And the same with a husband. Like we both do it both yeah. ways. And we sat down and I said, I, th- I think I really want to do this full time, which means that you're going to have to take care of yourself at home. Mm. From, from Monday to Friday, you're going to have to deal with your own stuff. I'll deal with my stuff, but I can't do both. And he looked at me and he said, look, I absolutely love, who wouldn't want their clothes to be put out and their food to be made? Right. He's like, I love it. But what I would love more is seeing you happy. Mm. And he's like, so it's not a hard decision. And so we said, okay, so what does this look like? It means that we have to now share responsibilities at home. But what does that look like? Let's get detailed. You take out the garbage. I'm always going to, you know, make sure there's food in the house. Cool. Now it's equal. So we laid out all the roles, all the responsibilities. And it came to things like with the dishes. Well, my husband hates doing dishes and he doesn't care if you use paper plates. Mm -hmm. So he's like, look, I don't want to do the dishes, but you're asking me to do them. I don't think that's a good way of my time. 
You're the one that wants to do the dishes. You're the ones that wants to use the real plates. So if you want to, you clean up after yourself. I'll happily use paper plates mm. and plastic knives and forks and I will recycle them <laughs> and I will never do a dish and waste a minute of my day. And so I made that agreement with him. Cool. Then that's fine. And then it became, there was no bitterness, yes. right? Why aren't you doing your dishes? Why aren't you doing this? Right. We, need to, we just laid it all out. It's a rare form of communication. And I think the marriages, and not just marriages, the partnerships mm -hmm. that are the healthiest are where people struggle to become better communicators. Speaking of communication, mm -hmm. I know from my own personal experience, when Brett and I began working together, I made the mistake of thinking that he was helping me mm. versus us being in business together. Mm. And, you know, through therapy, he eventually was able to tell me how hurtful it was for me to say things like, well, with my business, and he's helping me with my business, mm -hmm. but it really is our business. For me, it also changed when I realized that if I thought of him as helping me, that was undervaluing his gifts, yeah. right? And I need to think instead of, I, I need him to help me, I need to recruit him to elevate our company. And did you ever struggle? And how did that change? Did you feel that resentment ever? Yeah, I definitely struggled, especially because I always started out of like, I'm just helping my husband and his business partners. And over time, I started to realize that I wasn't feeling good about really like my position so you know they all had cool titles quote unquote right they all had c titles and here i was i was head of fulfillment and mm. i was like that doesn't feel good anymore and going back to titles but i didn't want to tie my self-esteem to a title but at the time i think i had absolutely so here i was running fulfillment didn't feel like i had a good title i didn't feel like a business owner mm. i felt like i was literally just helping and even when we were shipping so in two years, I'd gotten from zero to I was fulfilling $80 million worth of product from our warehouse in two years. And here I was doing Jeez, that. Jeez, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> but I was in a hairnet every day and I hated it. You were in a end. what? Hairnet. Oh, a ha hairnet. <laughs> so I wasn't feeling Oh my feminine. gosh. I wasn't no, feeling for sure. sexy. Oh no. And I was looking at these guys and they had like cool titles, cool jobs, and I wasn't getting paid. We'd gotten to the point where we we're $80 million and I wasn't getting a paycheck. Now, all the business partners did have paychecks. Interesting. So here I was and I turned around to Tom one day and I was like, I want to get paid. And he's like, okay, talk to me about that. Why do you want to get, like, why is that important to you? I said, because I don't feel like I'm valued because I, I'm not getting a check. And he's like, okay, if it's truly the value, he's like, babe, I'll take my paycheck. I'll cut it in half. We'll so that you get a paycheck in your name and I get a paycheck in mine. He's like, we're in it together. I realized that that didn't make sense. I was just doing it from my own ego. So I'm like, but we're shipping. I'm shipping $80 million of product. We can afford to give me a paycheck. And he's like, yeah, you're right, we can. So here, here's what I'm going to propose. He's like, do you want a paycheck? Or let's say we even give you, I mean, let's think of a number, $80,000. If we took $80,000 and that went to you, to us, that's $80,000 we now don't have to hire another position. So are you okay with that? Like when you go into it, like why do you actually need to get paid? Is it mm. because you think the money's gonna, is it a lifestyle thing or is it an ego thing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, it's an ego thing. Cause right now $80,000 isn't where I'm projecting. I wanna be 
freaking in the millions of dollars. Yeah. So $80,000 isn't where my goal was. So I realized it was an ego thing. So I said, okay, over time, I'll get a paycheck when I really want one. So I transitioned from fulfillment into our studio because that was what my heart was. I realized I didn't want to be in a hair net. I'd built this department, but I wasn't happy anymore. And we were just growing our marketing department. So it was like, all right, what if I go over and I help marketing and I start running content? Mm. So I went over, I started running content. I built a studio with Inquest, loved it, was doing everything, was hiring producers and directors and all of that. So I really loved doing that. And we were at a point where I was like, I could easily ask for a paycheck now. Like the company's now in the millions and millions. And I looked at Tom and I was like, I don't want a paycheck. And he's like, why? Like, you know, only a few years ago, you said you did. I said, because I want to make sure that I'm always doing what I love. And again, a paycheck right now, sure, it may give me nicer shoes. It's not going to change my life on a grand scale of where I really want to be. And a big part of my everyday life, I want to make sure that I'm really fueling my soul because I'd spent eight years as a housewife, not fueling my soul. Mm. I spent another two years in shipping, not fueling my soul. And now that I'm doing something that I love, I don't ever want to get tied up in a lifestyle and be, you know, almost in a lifestyle that is like, oh, but I eat filet mignon every day. And Mm. now if I leave, am I going to have to change my life? So I didn't want that to be the pressure of making that decision. And so to this day, I can safely say I've never had a paycheck. The last paycheck I ever had in my life was when I was engaged to Tom in London, working as a receptionist for a car dealership. That was the last paycheck I ever had in my name. Today, you still... I still don't give myself a check. And do you still have responsibilities at Quest or is it just Impact Theory now? So yeah, so moved away from Quest because we really wanted to focus on the mind as well. And we felt like if we were saying we really wanted to impact people, like what does that actually mean? I realized it was the mind as well as the body. My mom was gaining more and more weight, the more successful Quest was getting and the more financial success we had. And I tried to throw money at it. The more my mom was gaining weight and she was getting more and more unhealthy. And when I would ask her like, mom, I'll give you as many Quest protein bars as you want. Like I'll hire you a private chef. I'll get you a trainer. The words that kept coming out of her mouth was, I just, I can't lose the weight. I can't lose the weight. I'm too old. I was like, it's her mindset that's holding her back. She doesn't believe she can. So guess what? She's not going to be able to. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing the show in Quest called Inside Quest, which mm-hmm. was looking at the mindset. We realized that that really where was where our passion was. And so we're like, well, you know, how all in are we into our mission? And so we took, you know, the money that we had successfully taken from Quest and we're like, let's just build a studio and let's go all in. That's where my heart is in a way is in content. I really want to impact people. And when we started Impact Theory, within two years, my mom lost 130 pounds. Holy cow. And, and her mindset now is she's the person that went from, I cannot do this. I'm too old. Two years later, obviously getting older, I call her up one day and it's raining. And my mom's like, yeah, it's really raining. She does her steps normally. She's like, so I, got, I was waiting for the excuse, right? It's yeah, raining, so yeah. I didn't do, I didn't walk, I didn't run. And she's like, so I got in the car. I drove to the local grocery store. She's like, I walked up and down the aisles for five miles, totaling five miles up and down the aisles. She's like, and then I bought an apple and then I left. She's like, because I had to get my steps in, but she didn't want to get wet. And I'm like, that's mindset. 
right there, the same woman who thought she couldn't lose weight is now making sure she doesn't use any excuse to get in the way. Yes. And that just fuels me even more. And that fuels like what we're doing and the content we're doing. And it just goes to show that like, no matter what, like if you tell yourself you can, you can. If you tell yourself you can't, you can't. It's so true. Thank you to everyone who very kindly asked me in my Instagram DMs what my skincare routine is. Like I'm flattered that you would even want to ask. And the honest truth is, If you're seeing my face in social media, it has makeup on. I wear makeup. However, my skin looks much younger than it is because I take care of it. Now, I used to go to my dermatologist and get microdermabrasion, but it takes a ton of time to do that. And it was really expensive, like over $300 per session. But I loved the results. But then one of my girlfriends told me about this tool called Microderm MD. Girl, game changer. It's basically the same tool that my esthetician was using, but created for home use. And you will literally see an improvement after just one treatment. It's pretty amazing. It improves things like age spots and acne scars, sun damage. Like if you just have dull skin from wearing makeup, fine lines, wrinkles, discoloration, hyperpigmentation, scars, etc. Microdermabrasion MD can help you with that at a fraction of what it would cost you to do one session with an esthetician. Microderm MD retails at $300. However, you get 40% off as a Shaleen Show listener. All you have to do is hit up trophyskin.com and then at checkout is when you will enter the code Shaleen. You get 40% off. It's really easy to use and you will love the results. All right, so trophyskin.com. When you check out, enter the code Shaleen for 40% off. You start Impact Theory. Yeah. Initially, it's Tom again. Mm-hmm. Initially, it's Lisa supporting her husband yeah. again. So you, you tend to gravitate towards that. And now here you are impacting women on such a major level. Is there something that you're interested in doing that's just yours that's your idea that's your vision and i want to go after it to do things maybe a little differently than you know than the pattern with you and your life and with tom and you know all the greatness that you've accomplished already i'm just curious if lisa there's something where you're like okay this isn't me helping tom and letting this thing evolve I have something I actually want to do and I haven't done it yet. Yeah. When we started Impact Theory, we sat down and we said, okay, what is the mission of this company? What are we trying to get to? And it is always to film. So it's like, okay, with Quest Bars, we play the no BS, what would it take? And up until then, as you know, it was, if you want to lose weight, you have to eat chicken and broccoli and you have to work out seven days a week, Mm -hmm. every single day. And that was it. And so if you want to be healthy, that's what you had to do. And that's changing people's behavior. People don't want to sit down and eat chicken and broccoli and go to the gym every day. So the thing is, is how do you leverage people's behavior instead of try to change it? Okay, well, what do we know about people? People love sweet foods. Mm -hmm. So what if we could create a bar that tasted amazing and happened to be good for them? Because you're leveraging people's behavior to gravitate towards sweet things. So we said, what is that in content in video version or in mindset version? Okay. You can talk to people about empowering things. Okay, well, only a small percent of people are going to sit here and listen to an hour of Lisa Bill you talk. Only a small percent. 
you're trying to change behavior by forcing people to do that. But what do we, how do you leverage people's behavior? You know, people gravitate towards TV and movies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if I know TV and movies are people's natural behavior, Mm -hmm. I want to impact people. My background is film. How do we combine them? Mm -hmm. All right. What if we make movies that are entertaining that happen to be empowering? Mm -hmm. And that's where impact theory was born. So that we wrote out, steps of how we were going to build this company and we looked at disney so going back to always looking at who's done it before you and emulate their technique Mm -hmm. all right disney did it disney did it obviously it took a long time so we're probably on a 40-year plan for us which Mm -hmm. is okay Mm -hmm. so we looked at the long plan and then also disney tell one kind of story so if you think of disney as being the most magical place on earth everything they do is embodies magic Mm -hmm. impact theories going to be empowerment. Mm. So if Disney's the most magical place on earth, impact theory is the most empowering place on mm. earth, which means everything we do has to be empowering. And that's our guiding force. And so we sat down and we said, okay, so what does that look like? Tom has talent in front of the camera. I had no intention of ever wanting to be in front of the camera. So let's do this business. My skill sets are making stuff happen. Like I just figure it out. And Tom's yeah. great skill is the vision. So we went into the business in impact theory. It wasn't, I'm going to support my husband. It was, I'm going to use the skill set that now I have identified as being the person that makes it happen, right? With shipping. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll make it happen. Yes. So that's the skill set I had prided myself on. I'd gotten a pat on the back for years at Quest. Right. My God, Lisa, you figured it out. You figured it out. So even though I didn't like it, I had associated my pride with being good at it. Mm. So we start impact theory. Tom's great in front of the camera. I'm good at figuring things out. We come together. We make a beautiful partnership. On paper, when we were building the business, I said, babe, like you should take 51%. Like that's no ego on me. You will be doing more work than I am because my health had been, had really deteriorated Mm. at that time. So I couldn't put in the 18 hours every day anymore. So I was like, look, you're the visionary. You're going to put in more hours than me. I have no ego. Take 51%. And he's like, no, I won't do it. He's like, I need you to know this is a partnership. And even if you say that I should give that extra 1%, he's like, I don't feel good. We are in this together. Mm. So he called up his lawyers. He said, make this like a divorce nightmare for you. He's like, I want it to be so difficult because I want my wife to know we are absolutely equal partners. Wow. So we went in, we started Impact Theory. He had the vision. I built the set. I figured out, put the crew together, building the team, figuring out all the logistics behind it. And that was my role. And I was very okay with that until over time, I started to talk to people and I started to meet these incredible women. And I would talk about my story, not, not ever valuing my own story. Interesting. So even the questions that you're asking me, because I really didn't think my story was anything special. Mm. And so having people asking me questions going, wow, you did what? I was like, well, yeah, just, you know, I'm just telling my story and then finding that I would impact people and I'd get people reach out to me saying, thank you for saying that. I started to realize maybe I'm selling myself a bit short. And that Mm. was hard because my whole confidence still wasn't like big. So I'm like, maybe I do have value to bring. And, you know, like question mark, value to bring. And so I was like, okay, well, how do I tell my story more? Because if my goal really is impacting people, 
I'm now getting in my own way because I don't want to be in front of the camera. Lisa, that's just your own ego, you know, getting in the way of actually creating impact. Mm -hmm. Was there, when you say I didn't want to be in front of the camera, I would pride myself on the work that was done behind the camera, Mm -hmm. the orchestrating, the Mm -hmm. operations, the, you know, making sure everything was perfect. What is it that in your mind said, I don't want to be in front of the camera? I think it was seeing Tom... And just telling myself, God, I could never do that. Mm. You know, seeing him on stage, speaking in front of thousands of people, God, I could never do that. Oh my God, I would. So comparing yourself to your husband, not not necessarily other women. Yes, actually. Or Mm. even maybe just admiring other women and going, wow, they're so good. I could never do that. And yeah, I think I probably did as well. Mm -hmm. And I did that a lot, actually. So how did you get over that because that's the common story. So many of us, we think, well, I know I could do something. I know I I could do that, but I couldn't do it as well as so-and-so and and all these other people. So therefore I I shouldn't do it. I'm not as smart, as pretty, as intelligent, as experienced. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. So therefore I shouldn't because there's someone who's more than yeah. So how do you start doing something when in your mind you're thinking everybody in the world is pointing at you and saying, well, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Who do you think you are? Yeah, I'm goal-oriented. Everything always stems from a goal, even from when Tom and I first got married, right? So it's like, what is that goal? How do we execute? And so when I started to get feedback of like, wow, you're really, you know, you've impacted me. One of my friends is a big YouTuber. And she reached out to me and she was like, should we do a podcast together? And I was like, oh, I don't know anything. What am I going to say? What have I done? You know, and at, the point, at this point, Quest is a billion dollar company, wow. but I'm still like, what am I going to do? Wow. But she was like, I really want to talk business. And she's like, and I think what you've done is amazing. And so I was like, all right, like, what's the worst that can happen? Sure, I'll do a podcast. And in that moment, I said to myself, you have a choice. If you do this, Lisa, you have to go all in. And that's kind of my life. Like if I'm going to do it, go all in. Because if I fail, at least I can say, Lisa, you gave everything. And so when she said to me, do you want to do a podcast? I was like, all right, if I do this, I need to go all in, but I'm going to be authentically me because I can't be as good as everyone else. Like I would Mm. look and be like, I can't be as good as this person. I can't be as good as this person. So just be you. Like, that's it. As long as you promise yourself, Lisa, you're just going to be you. Come hella high water with weirdnesses and, you know, however I think, you know, my mentality, I'm just going to be me. And if people don't like it, great. I'm just going to back off and I'll be behind the scenes again. Like, what's the worst that can happen? And that was really what I told myself. What's the worst that can happen? And so I started to do this podcast with her and it became number one the day we released it because she had so many fans. And in that moment, I was like, okay, so I guess we're doing it. So it was like, I was kind of in it already. I jumped in in both feet. And what I didn't realize was how much feedback I would get from people saying, thank you for being so real. Like, thank you for not pretending, right? Because Mm -hmm. up until that point, it was, I'd kind of pretended like, you know, like, oh, Quest is, you know, like I'm of perfect health and I'm, you know, I'm the perfect person and I'm the perfect wife, you know, how you were saying. Yes, absolutely. And in that podcast, I told myself, I'm not going to try and be perfect. I'm just going to be me. Mm. And in being me, I was getting the best response I've ever got. So it was definitely like positive reinforcement there. And then over time, once that podcast ended, because she just didn't have the bandwidth and over time, I started to feel that itch. So I had like yeah. about six months of where I wasn't doing it. And I was like, I really liked being able to help people and women. 
And my goal initially was to actually create impact. And so right now, you're fearful of being in front of the camera, but you're not serving your goal of impacting people. Mm. And I started to go, okay, the fear is holding you back. Mm -hmm. And I can't let fear hold me back from my goals. And so that's how I started like to process things. And I was like, what's the worst that can happen? And that's kind of one thing I started to repeat myself. What's the worst that can happen? Okay, I can embarrass myself. I can put out a video, it's gonna have no views, but I still have this business that I love, you know, running. And I still have a husband that I believe in wholeheartedly. And I believe in a company and I believe in what we're doing on the bigger vision. And so if the worst that can happen is I just stop and I go back to what I was doing, then fine. And the more I did it, the more I loved it. Mm. And then it became Women of Impact. And yes. Women of Impact became something just for me because Tom, even though it is under the umbrella of impact theory, he can't help. Yeah. Right? Right. He, he can't ever sit in the seat next to me. Right. He can't ever give me advice on marketing because he just doesn't know how we think. He doesn't know, you know, the demographic. He doesn't understand the nuances of how women think and grow and the issues that we have. And so that was a discussion we had to sit down and talk about. And he said, look, up until this point, we've built everything together. Even impact theory, we decided yeah. he was going to be mm -hmm. in front of the camera, but mm -hmm. it was together. Yeah. And he's like, women of impact, I can't help you. Mm. And he's like, and what happens if this does start to grow? What happens if this becomes bigger than impact theory? Like, it's not a problem, but we need to be very aware that this could potentially be something that then divides us. And does this then become, and divide, I mean, in our retention, I see. not us as a couple or yes. our mission. Because we're both creating impact. We both are now doing comic books that empower people. So I'm now doing a female comic book, graphic novel. And so we've had to, even now, it's an evolution. And I'm like, babe, I love it. I want to do it more and more. My time's going to be here. And recently I'm like, I'm still spending a lot of time in operations mm. and I hate operations. Mm. And that was a realization that I turned to him and I said, I hate operations. And he turned to me and he said, you being as good as you are in operations is what makes you such an amazing business partner. And so yes. we have to go through it. And I'm like, what happens now? It's like, I want to replace myself. Yes. I want to replace myself in operations. And we had to talk through that because that changes our dynamic in the business. It changes our dynamic in dreaming. Because now if I'm dreaming about women of impact, what does that mean for him? Right. What does that mean for impact theory as a, you know, umbrella company? And so we're still evolving. We're still figuring this out. And going back to what you said earlier, communication. Yeah. And, you know, I want to talk about communication. First of all, it's really remarkable what you do in your relationship. You're super honest in your social media and I've seen you write things where you'll say, I really thought about not sharing this or thinking this mm -hmm. or putting this out there, but I can't let my fear stop me. And so here you go. I have two questions. Number one, vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I think that there has been this trend mm -hmm. of vulnerability, especially in social media, that is People believe that to be authentic, like to be vulnerable and to share your deepest, darkest mm -hmm. corners, your sadness, your struggles, your strife, that that is authentic. And that is how we're to be vulnerable and honest and overcome our fears. But I also think there's this, now this strange thing that's happening where it's almost inauthentic, where mm -hmm. people are like trying to come up with a, mm -hmm. you know, hashtag vulnerable post warning where it's mm -hmm. like, and they're trying to come up with the sad, the negative, the dark. And 
You know, for me, like my brain doesn't think that way Mm -hmm. very often. So it doesn't feel authentic for me to, you know, on a weekly basis, come up with this like deep, dark post about my insecurities or feelings, you know? So two questions. Number one, how do you balance being authentic and sharing your thoughts and feelings, et cetera, and also being positive and uplifting and then not feel like, oh gosh, am I falling prey to this whole like Instagram, you know, your highlight reel? Yeah, yeah. You know, can I be positive and not be accused of just sharing the happy stuff? Yeah. You know? I think positivity is so important. And so, actually, let me back up. So what happens is for me, It goes back to like, I can't fake it. Like, I'm just not good at pretending like I have a great life. So I'm just like, just be you. So that's one thing I say to myself. And then every day, it really is, what are the things that are important to me? And what are the things that I'm overcoming? But I see it from a positive standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the difference is that because I've been suffering from such health issues, there was one like last in March, I got to go to the Academy Awards, which from someone who my dream is to win an Academy Award, just getting a ticket to be in the audience was amazing. And it was as cool as you think it is. And I was like, it's as cool as you think it is. Like, yes, I'm wearing a Gucci dress. It's cool. And so Uh I'm just going to be honest because I'm this Greek girl from London that dreamt like I would stay up at 3 a.m. in the morning and watch the Academy Awards on TV. And so why am I not going to tell people this is fucking awesome? Yes. And at the same time, a week later, I was in bed for three days because my gut health had taken a downturn. And so I'm just like, Lisa, you are not going to be the person that's just going to say how cool it is to be on the red carpet in a Gucci dress. Mm -hmm. You're going to say the realities of what it's like in life. But I'm not going to come at it as poor me because I hate poor me. Mm. I do not feel sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. I do not pity myself. Why? Because it doesn't serve me. So as much as I would love to lick my wounds and be like, oh my God, this sucks. Why? How could you have such a bad microbiome and be in bed for three (sighs) days? It's like... That doesn't serve me. That's not going to make me feel better. Putting my mindset in a negative space is not going to get me out of it. So how is this the best thing that's ever happened to you? Mm. And so when I ask myself, how is right now when you're in bed, the best thing that's ever happened, I turn it around and I'm like, all right, that young girl that may be following me on social media right now, that thinks that my life is glitz and glam and is on the red carpet at the Oscars, I want them to also see the other side of it. Because the reality is, I don't care how successful you are in life, you're going to have the ups and downs. You're going to have the Mm -hmm. peaks and valleys. You're going to have the best moments and the worst moments. And I don't want to pretend in any way should I perform that neither exists Mm -hmm. they both exist they are both absolutely part of my life but when I post I do not want it to come from a point of poor me Mm. it is coming from a point of this sucks I know it sucks but this is how I switch my mindset to get out of it yeah so you give people a solution it's like that's what I'm always looking for is like there's vulnerability for just the sheer fact that you want comments. And then I think there's that, let me share this. And here's my solution. And here's how I'm working on it. And here's how my journey might be able to help you. Right. And here is a real struggle that I'm going through right now. And even I think I've done in the past where I've been like, yeah, I'm really mad right now. And (laughs) this is an honest post, but don't get it twisted. I will not stay here. I have given myself an hour. I've given myself three hours to feel sorry for myself. But let me tell you when those three hours are up, I will pick myself up back up. Mm. And I think it's important 
for me to be that honest because that's how I talk to myself. Yes, yes. And I think that's so inspiring for people to know that we are all having these dialogues in our head. And one dialogue you and I both share, and I want to get into it a little bit, if you don't mind, Mm -hmm. is, you know, here you are the pinnacle of health. People assume, gosh, you own a health company and the foods and nutrition that you're creating at Quest is to make people healthier. And now you are this person who's suffering, Mm -hmm. but hiding it if I'm not mistaken, like you weren't very public with the fact that, gosh, I'm dealing with, and I can understand why. And it was a combination of gut health, an autoimmune. Did you ever get to the root cause? Yeah. So for the longest time, I didn't even tell people at Quest. So my, my team didn't know what was happening and I was just losing weight and I was just losing weight and losing weight and losing weight. My hair was falling out because I couldn't eat. Like literally, my microbiome had completely, it felt like it erupted. That's the word that I use. How so? So what happened was I'd had this big dream. Tom and I, when we were starting Quest, it was we would drive around Beverly Hills in our car and we would look at the houses and that would keep our motivation going. We're like, one day we're going to be in those houses. One day, one day, one day. And in my head, the vision was, I was going to have a bottle of champagne by a waterfall. I was going to recreate a scene from a hip hop video Mm -hmm. and I was going to pour champagne on me and it was going to be the best. And here we were, we bought a house in Beverly Hills. We had a waterfall, we had a bottle of champagne and I just chucked the champagne. It was like the most awesome thing. Within five minutes, my stomach started to cramp. In about 10 minutes, my stomach, literally, I couldn't stand up. Within half an hour, I was finding it hard to breathe. And by the end of the evening, I just couldn't move. And that became right now a four and a half year journey I'm now on to get back to zero. And in trying to... By zero, do you mean back to... Normal. Okay. But everyone's like, oh, go to the best doctors. You know, you, I, at the time, had a very misconceived notion of what health was. So I was like, well, who's the best doctor in Beverly Hills? Let's go to this one doctor. Let's go to that doctor. And all these issues I was having, no doctor was putting them together. I hadn't had a period in five years. I was having mood swings. Now couldn't eat. Each doctor was saying they were separate. So I was going to a gut health doctor. I was going to a hormone doctor and no one was putting things together. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I'm paying the best money. Come by. They must be right. And I wasn't getting better. And my hair started to fall out because I literally couldn't eat. I was down to, I think, four or five ingredients. I counted salt as an ingredient and I couldn't eat. My nails were brittle and I didn't want to tell anyone at Quest because I was embarrassed. I couldn't even eat our own product. Mm -hmm. I posted a photo. We had just launched our pumpkin pie bar and I posted a photo on my Instagram that said morning breakfast. I couldn't even try it. Mm -hmm. I hadn't even Mm -hmm. tried it and I was pretending because I can't not say that I don't eat our product because I couldn't even eat normal food, let alone anything that had been processed. I'd put pepper on my food. And it caused so much cramping. Tom almost ran me to the emergency room. From putting pepper in your food? That's how bad my gut got. And in four and a half years later, if I had to, in a very quick sentence, dissect what had actually happened to me. It was from the age of 16. I was told, oh, you're getting fat. So I started to reduce my calories. My boyfriend, because I was teased as a kid, so my very first boyfriend started pinching my hips saying, oh, you're putting on some weight. So then I started hearing 
women say cheese is fattening. So I cut out cheese. Mm-hmm. Oh, carbs aren't good for you. They're fattening. I cut out carbs. Mm-hmm. So I'd gotten to the point from the age of 16, over time, I was reducing my calories. I thought all, the only way to eat was protein only. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't having fat. I wasn't having carbs. Mm-hmm. Not understanding that my immune system, 70% is carried in your gut. Yes. didn't understand that. Yeah. So I was getting sick. Sure, no diversity. No diversity. So the more sick I was getting, I was getting antibiotics. The more antibiotics I was taking, the more I was killing the bacteria in my gut, Mm -hmm. the more I wasn't replenishing it, the more I was getting sick. So from 16 up until that day that I was at the pool, I was finding it harder and harder to digest food. Mm -hmm. But I just, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's age. Now that I'm in my 20s, maybe I just can't eat cake like I used to. But what was happening was my diversity was getting less and less. Mm -hmm. And I'd gone to the point where I was taking probably antibiotics maybe six times a year. Mm -hmm. And everybody was blaming that. How could the doctors have done that to you? And I'm just like, A, it doesn't serve me blaming the doctors. And B, when the doctors were saying, you know what? Taking too many antibiotics probably isn't good for you, even though they were still prescribing. Did I ever once look it up? Did I ever once look at what antibiotics Mm -hmm. actually does to the gut and Mm -hmm. why they're saying it's not good for you? No, no doctor was ever forcing me to. So I took ownership over my entire health situation and it got into the point where my digestion had erupted and every doctor wasn't helping, wasn't helping, wasn't helping. So that's when I started looking more holistically after Mm -hmm. about three years. I sat down with the doctor and they said to me, I had a food diary. Every single thing that I ate, every Mm -hmm. bowel movement that I had had, every feeling that I had of being down, mood swings, I wrote everything down religiously for six months. And when I sat in front of the doctor, I was so proud. I was like, all right, I'm going to be the best client because I've got all my food diary. And he looks at me and he's like, what do you do when you eat? And I was like, no, 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 don't you want to know what I eat and how I eat and when everything happens? And he's like, no, what do you do when you eat? And I'm like, well, I work. Mm. And he's like, well, take me through a day of your work. And I was like, well, I get up at this time. We unlock our doors really early. So our house is open from 7 a.m. from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed because we run our company out of our house. And he's like, so when do you eat? And I was like, well, I eat in meetings. And we just dissected my lifestyle. And he's like, number one thing I want you to do is stop working and eating. Mm. I'm like, but shouldn't I change what I'm eating? He's like, no. So I started to approach from a holistic point of view. Mm -hmm. I started to meditate. I started to have acupuncture because I was desperate. Mm -hmm. And I was the person that thought all of that was woo-woo. I was like, pfft acupuncture, meditation. That's for weak people. I don't do that. And it got to the point I was so desperate Mm. that I said, what's the worst that can happen? Just try it. And I understand the power of belief. And so I said to myself, everything you try, Lisa, even though you think it's woo-woo, go into it believing it's going to work. And slowly over time, I'm starting to find all these things are actually working, that meditation actually makes sense, that deep breathing makes sense, that your environment is important, Mm. that how you eat, how often you eat in regards to don't just gobble, right? Like actually look at your food. Mm. And it sounds weird. Like I literally would have thought I'd be the person that would never say this. Mm -hmm. But over time it's happened. And I have a doctor now that I've taken everything all my hormone levels, all my things. And we've started to assess, I had leaky gut. I had a parasite because I was too weak to battle it. Mm. And so the parasite had created a biofilm in my intestines. 
Wow. Yeah. And I had SIBO, which is small intestinal mm-hmm. bacterial overgrowth. So I had to go to a low FODMAP diet. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm gluten intolerant, lactose intolerant, I'm sure because of just the years and years of just messing with, you know, not eating things. And so I started to- Where are I, you today? So today I was the first time I- not maybe the first time, but last year I went to this comic book convention because like our business is now doing comics. This time last year, we were in New York and I had massive gut issues because I went to a restaurant and they put oils on it that I couldn't stomach. And for three days, I was basically back into bed. And in March, like I said, I was in bed. This time, I just got back from that same event not one problem. I was able to fly with no gut inflammation. I am very cautious now and I know the triggers. I know oils are a big thing for me. So hidden oils are massive. And so every restaurant I go to, I phone ahead and I say, do you have 100% olive oil? Mm-hmm. And if they don't, I won't go to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. So I've really identified the things that are like triggers for me. Soy is death to me. Sesame is death to me. And I've started to assess and realize and I have to eat slow. So what I do is when I eat, I take a bite, I put my fork down and until I finish chewing, I then pick my fork back up. So there's like little weird techniques that Mm -hmm. I do Mm -hmm. that has allowed me to be able to eat more like a normal person. I still am very restrictive on the the amounts of foods I can Mm -hmm. eat, like the portions I can eat, but I can now travel. I went an entire year where I didn't eat out, not even Mm -hmm. once. I had a private chef. How much, um, and this might be a personal question, but I have to ask it. How much does your weight because you mentioned mm-hmm. somebody making comments as a child and how that got in your head and, and then the struggles your mother had with her weight. Mm-hmm. How much does your weight factor into your beliefs around eating and food and being healthy? It used to a lot from the, I don't want to get fat standpoint. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you can't eat that because you're going to get fat. And if you get fat, like, especially being then getting a quest, it just, you know, made it worse. Totally, yeah. Because now it's Your just microscope. like, yeah. I'm on a, you know, yeah, I can't be overweight because then that's going to be a reflection on Tom and that's his right. business partners and I can't let them down. Now it's almost the opposite. So I get a lot of comments now about like, oh my God, your physique is so amazing. What can I do to get your physique? And I don't like giving tips because I'm like, trust me, if I could right now eat a bowl of ice cream, I would. Mm-hmm. I would. And I don't want to encourage people with, if I wrote a food diary right now, to see how clean I have to eat. I don't want to encourage people to have to eat like that. So I'm paranoid in that way. And then I did, my very first speaking gig was a TEDx talk. Mm-hmm. And I was petrified, but I lent into it. I was like, Lisa, come on, you know, you got to face your fears, do it anyway. And so I did it. I was so proud of myself that I didn't, you know, back out. And there was one comment on one of my Instagram posts and she put, I think it's terrible that somebody who is as unhealthy, now she didn't know my story. Mm -hmm. So she said, someone as skinny as you, you don't look healthy. I don't think it's good that you're promoting yourself as a TEDx talker. And I got really upset about it. And I thought, okay, what do I know about humans? They're projecting. Okay, she's got food issues, clearly. 
and I have triggered something in her. Mm. Now, it's not my fault. I don't like to say it's not my fault because actually it is my fault that I got into this situation. I was the one that chose not to eat fat and eat carbs. I was the one that chose to take the antibiotics. So I do very much take ownership over that I am where I am because of the decisions I've made. But I am desperately working my ass off to get out of it. Mm. And so my weight right now is not directly my fault because I'm not intentionally trying to deprive myself. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I'm- You're on the journey. I'm on the journey, yeah. Yeah. And I'm clearly triggering something in her. And so I was like, how do I respond to this with not feeling like I'm defending myself, but not bashing her either? So I said, look, I'm sorry if I've triggered something in you that my weight has maybe triggered. But I need you to know that I'm on a journey. I'm yeah. going through some health issues. And I don't promote, you know, eating the way I do. I do absolutely promote the lessons I've learned, like the quality of your food. I used to think that organic and grass-fed was just a ruse to get people to pay more. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, oh my God, you should eat organic and grass-fed as much as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. So do I promote things that I've learned? Absolutely. But I think to myself, I'm fortunate enough to have the finances to be able to go to certain doctors and figure certain things out that other people don't. And it is my responsibility to then echo that and talk about it Mm -hmm. to people that may not have the accessibility that I do. And so I feel like it is a duty of mine to talk out loud and speak about it. And so in regards to my way, in regards to my health, I just try to be honest. Yeah. And say like, yes, I struggled when I was 16. Yes, my family struggled. My mom struggles. I saw my sister drinking Slim Fast Mm. when she was growing up. So, you know, I absolutely was brought up on a terrible mindset of weight, of what it meant as a woman, of your value, that if you weren't slim, that you weren't going to be loved or admired. Mm. Like 100%, I had a very warped mind of it. And I'm talking openly about it. But I also want to talk openly about how that mindset got me where I am and how I'm desperately struggling to come out of it. Yeah. Now, here's the other one other little nuance to it. In talking to my doctor about what foods I need to change, I still had carb phobia. Sure. And they said to me, you need to bring back carbs into your diet. And for a split second, I hesitated. Even like, and this was a year ago. So I'm in the depths of my health problems and I'm struggling and I'm like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And the doctor says to eat carbs. I like, for a split second, I was like, oh God, what do you mean? And I caught myself. And I was like, all right, you've recognized that you've caught yourself with that fear. Now, what does that mean? Like part of me still wants to look a certain way. Sure. And I have to acknowledge that Mm -hmm. because to pretend it's not there, I think is only going to rear its ugly head later. Yes. And so I looked at myself and I said, Lisa, what's more important? Your physique or being healthy? Because right now, this is a decision you have to make. And if you want to keep going with all you care is about physique, then cool, that's your decision. But don't be naive to think it's not in your control. Mm -hmm. And I think it is so important for for everyone to understand that 
you can talk about your struggle Mm -hmm. and being on the journey. Who has anything completely figured out? You're never like, oh, I've got this. Like, for example, you know, you and I have talked about my own addiction with work Mm -hmm. and and we all have our go-tos, you know, and being self-aware is step one. Taking personal responsibility is step two. Mm -hmm. But you're never like, okay, set it and forget it. You're always in a cycle of managing yourself. And that's the most honest thing that we can tell other people. And I think to give people the impression that I'm better, Mm -hmm. I fixed it, I'm a perfect human now would be a disservice and inauthentic. Mm -hmm. Final question. You've had the opportunity to interview some of the most powerful, impactful women in America. If you had to pick this is a tough one. So I'm going to give you the time to, to think about it. If you had to pick one or two things mm. that these women share in common, regardless of their background, regardless of their story, what would that be? Well, the first thing that actually came to mind was imposter syndrome, mm. where so many women I look up to and I'm like, you're so amazing. You've done all these amazing things. And they don't think of themselves like that. And they've always, like, they're like, you know, have thought about themselves as being, well, I'm just trying to get it done. I'm just trying to struggle. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's like they're in these situations in front of, you know, Snoop Dogg. And, you know, one of the women at the table is just like, well, I'm sitting in front of Snoop Dogg, but I need to get his attention. Who am I to really get his attention? Mm. But hey, I still need to do it. So let me act like I'm confident, right? And she's like slamming a hand on the desk and like, hey, Snoop, pay attention. And it's just like, wow, every woman doesn't feel like they deserve to be there. And it's like, it's so amazing that even now, it's like the one the thing that keeps coming up. Would you say that most of those women eventually got to a place where they're like, okay, I felt imposter syndrome, but there came a day where I felt like I owned it. Yes and no. I still find that most women still have massive insecurities. Mm. I do for sure. And it's not like you said earlier, it's not like you've achieved it and now I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, I'm here and now I'm great. It's even while looking up at all these incredible women, they still have things they're not confident about. And it's a breath of fresh air. Yes, isn't it? Like, I hope that you, the listener, are owning that understanding that there isn't a powerful person on the planet unless they're delusional, mm-hmm. <laughs> who believes that they've arrived. No, you know, you're yeah. always going to have these insecurities. You're always going to have these self-doubts, but you have to do in spite of them. Yeah, absolutely. Lisa, you are just a breath of fresh air. Aww. And I love that you shared your journey. And I love that you're still on the journey in so many different ways. And that if I had to take like one thing that I hope people walk away from this episode, it is the power of communication. Like mm. if you are open to communicating with people and learning to be a better communicator your life gets better Mm -hmm. yeah so thank you so much oh god i've been so excited to be on your podcast it's like (laughs) been one of my dreams so thank you so much for having me it's been such an honor and we'll definitely link to your youtube show which i hope everyone well it's going to be a requirement you'll need to subscribe and your podcast and what social media platform are you the most active on definitely instagram so if anyone if you guys like what you've been hearing i am very open and honest and transparent on my page so that's at lisa billu 
spelled B-I-L-Y-E-U. And then Women of Impact is the show. So at YouTube, go over to YouTube and Women of Impact. And I love your Instagram stories. Thank They're you. They're just great. You just really feel like you're documenting behind the scenes and love the way you use them. So thank, thank you, you so girl. much for being a guest Appreciate here today. It. my honor. Awesome. Well, I hope the old me, the bossy pants, let me tell you the right way to live your life. I hope that version of me didn't show up too much in this interview because it really is a much better place to be where we can just have conversations with people as opposed to thrusting our beliefs onto someone else or thinking that our way is the only way. You know what? These conversations are important. I do think there's more than one way to reach your goals and to be happy. And that's why it's important to me to have conversations like this. Hey, do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this episode while it's still up on your digital device and share it with someone. Just click the share button and let them know that they too should be a subscriber of The Shaleen Show. I absolutely love it when you guys do this and you share it on your Instagram or Twitter. I mean, that's really cool. And if you do that, please don't forget to tag our guest today, Lisa Bilyeu. Let her know you listened to this episode. Share with her one of your favorite takeaways. I've put all of the links that we've mentioned below in my show notes, along with Lisa's Instagram profile. As always, thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you for being a subscriber. You are the bomb.com and I love you. I mean it.